0: Hey everybody! This is Phil Town,
1: and this is Danielle Town. And
0: welcome to the Invested Podcast. You guys know what we do here. We are deep into Netflix at this point. Oh yeah, fun.
1: As because, are all of the listeners. And just because quit. we're forcing you <laughs> deeply into Netflix. <laughs> Netflix
0: is not a six-inch bar, and I sometimes we, I wonder if we're really hurting you guys by going deep into something that is a really more difficult than really most of us should be messing with um but it has fallen about a bazillion dollars down bazillions a lot it dropped we can
1: can we just make that point really quickly about maybe how it's in the too hard pile Mm because i actually think it's really interesting we often when we talk about real companies we often talk about companies that either you or i are very comfortable with Mm-hmm. and are not too hard. And I think it's actually really interesting to look at one that might be too hard and have everybody see what that looks like or <laughs> or what it might look like. I don't know if it's too hard for us necessarily, but I think grappling with it is, is interesting and not something I'm maybe we've done on the show before.
0: Yeah, and the, the thing with something that's too hard before you realize it's too hard is that, I'm talking about me specifically here, I enter into a kind of state of, hubris. Oh, yes. Where I kind of <laughs> I think I've got this.
1: Oh, that was me sitting there listening to you prattle Not Prado. That's me like talk <laughs> at length about your love of Netflix and what a great company it was. And I was yeah. just like, man, there's a lot of problems here.
0: It's a lot of confirmation bias is really what what you hear when when you start to really chatter about what a great thing this is, um, just can just make sure you understand that confirmation bias is a disease that strikes <laughs> investors everywhere. And you must find some way to immunize yourself against it. And I don't know if it's even possible. It might be more like covid where we just sort of never get over it. It's just sort of out there. And I've got I think a that's, uh-huh.
1: You want to hear my way?
0: yeah how do you do it
1: as soon as I start feel this is so this is me we're different so let me it so that straight up front because you're probably about to say that this is all ridiculous
0: but we do love each other
1: absolutely <laughs> um, I like <laughs> I start to feel love for a company like deep within my heart like it's uh-huh. real and hmm. I start to feel emotions and i get excited and i start to feel like maybe we're a match and you know (laughs) like it's total like infatuation butterflies in the belly can it really be as good as it seems oh but it is and when i start having those feelings and i'm saying feelings on purpose because it's not even really conscious thoughts it's really like feelings of excitement and feelings of of infatuation um that's when I say to myself okay these are a lot of feelings I'm gonna start my like my thoughts are gonna start following these feelings and I need to start being careful because Interesting. I'm I'm getting like really into this in an emotional way and that's that's like for me, that's okay. Like I actually like that because it's what keeps me coming back to my investing sure. practice. Yeah. Having those feelings is really fun. This mm-hmm. is why people like to go dating. Like it's fun <laughs> to like have a crush, mm-hmm. um, but I don't want it to cloud my judgment. So I, ju- I don't really try to change it, but I just try to notice it. Just be aware, just say to myself, like, I'm probably missing things there's probably layers here not probably there's definitely layers here that I am not even aware exist and I need to do a lot more reading and not this is the important part not go tell everybody I know how excited I am about (laughs) this company because that's what I tend to do and then like a month later I'm like oh yeah okay that one like didn't turn out to be quite what I thought it was. (laughs) Well, it's
0: actually really important that you th- th- this metaphor is great because, you know, if we if we pick apart every person we wanted to date, no one would ever get married. You know, you'd you'd only see the flaws. It's maybe why nature built in this massive confirmation bias when we're dating somebody. Really, we don't see the flaws. And then otherwise we would never get to the point where we would have children, you know. And so, you know, the whole the whole genetics of the human race is based on confirmation bias, in a way. <laughs> if you think about it like that. Based on um,
1: infatuation.
0: Based on infatuation. And, and so, you know, we sort of have this built into us to be infatuated. And it may be true that if you look too deeply... At every company, you'll find flaws and you'll never invest in anything. And this was something you brought up a long time ago, I think, is like, wow, everything's got issues, you know? It's very true. It's like in the horse world, same thing. Another metaphor is that when you vet a horse, it means you spend some money on a veterinarian who is expert at making sure the horse is not going to go lame or doesn't have some physical abnormality that's going to show up later. Mm -hmm. And there are no clean vets mm. horses vetted horses there every horse has something and so it really becomes a matter of experience as to what horse problems are okay mm-hmm. to take on mm-hmm. um and are not likely to to be a problem for the horse long run i think that's where we're at with i investing. mean same
1: with people right Too probably the same thing with continue people if, the you, metaphor. if you're
0: smart you're you pick someone with the flaws ever made it manage. past
1: the six-month infatuation period <laughs> i think we're all perfectly aware that there's no perfect human out there and yeah. they often get worse before they sort of then like settle back into the the, the zone of all right you're all right i guess i'll marry yeah. you
0: yeah um well sort of yeah so I
1: think it's kind of it's kind of like that with companies because then I see all the flaws and then I go like oh this is so awful and they're like probably have human rights abuses that I don't know about and they're (laughs) probably like sexually abusing all their employees and they're probably poisoning the water and they're just like (laughs) probably the worst and I probably don't know anything about them and You know, it's all going to come out the day after I buy all the stock, and it's just going to be horrible. (laughs) And then I kind of, like, go back on the upswing and then sort of have a little bit more of a realistic... Okay, I've been through the rosy glasses view. I've been through the worst people on earth view. Maybe... It's in the middle a little bit, hopefully more towards the rosy view in reality. And then maybe I would want to be part of this company.
0: Well, honey, it's this specific thing is the reason um, I taught you these very basic things to look for in a company. Because every company has some issues to it, no doubt. But if you get these major things right, then you're going to buy good businesses, right? You're going to buy businesses that if someday you discover it has moral flaws that you just don't want to live with as a, with you and your value system, you can sell it and you're not going to lose money on it. Yeah. You know, you can, you can exit Warren mm. Buffett sells a lot of businesses. He finds out things about later on and he gets out. Right. So I remember one called Chicago bridge and iron that acquired, um, a company that was building a Georgia nuclear power plant. And, um, I think the company was Bernstein or no It's run by a guy named Bernstein and it was um, it, it, it had flaws in the contract and there were problems going on at the nuclear power plant that Chicago Bridge and Iron had no idea about hmm. and which were not clearly explained to them in their acquisition and that almost took that company under and hmm. Buffett found, Buffett was owning Chicago Bridge and Iron and he he grasped that something was awry in that subsidiary purchase and decided to exit the thing. And by the way, one of the reasons I watch these great investors is because I may not see that. But I do see he exited. Yeah. And so I exited. Right. I mean, I started digging and realized there's something going on and I exited. So. Um, another reason we use gurus and we look at them and we're careful to watch what they're doing is because they can give us a clue. But in general, man, there's going to be issues. And, and you've got to focus on the things that are the most important things. And that the most important things are these two things, moat and management. Management yes. being the least under control. But yes. in, in the case of Netflix, we have this wonderful management team that is just fabulous. They founded the company, they've taken it through multiple dark nights of changes in the industry, right? Remember Netflix?
1: I mean, I am gonna say a little caveat on that, but I Uh mean, in general, I agree.
0: Okay, I love Reed Hastings. I think he's a fabulous. Yeah,
1: but there's a heck of a lot of other people running that company besides him.
0: Well, yeah, there are, but they have gone, but when the it's the big changes you know Reed Hastings is gonna be involved in, right? The decision to move from sending you a DVD in the mail to a streaming service. That was genius. And it was the death of the company. Blockbuster didn't make the move. Absolutely. And they could have, right? They could have even if they saw Netflix do it and they just didn't. That's Hastings. And then again, um, they've had attacks by, you know, major competitors that they have overcome. And they are by far the most successful streaming service. I mean, they have twice as many subscribers um, than anybody else. And and probably another 50% of people using it that don't even pay for it, right? So they are just far and away the biggest. <laughs> so we, we really love the management team. The question then is on the focus on moat. And so if you can focus on just these couple of things, you can avoid spending a lot of time. Like I said, it's if you're going out with somebody and, and you're, you're dating this guy and you're criticizing in your mind you're criticizing him because of a hangnail you know he's got a hangnail or something like that it's just you you're just not on major issues that you should be focused on in terms of you know the whether this is going to be a good person to really get to know better the hangnail doesn't matter so a lot of there's a lot of things like that about companies that don't really matter that much but if you can focus on this it really does matter so the most like what would
1: looking at the hangnail be in the company context
0: um maybe a failed product line that they put out there
1: oh i see what you're saying okay
0: something something that is being criticized that you know the people who criticize everything everybody does are going to write up an article because they got to do that every day about somebody so they're going to write something up so you can you can get lost in the minutiae of a company pretty easily Create a
1: category on the checklist called the man hands section or the close talker section.
0: Yeah. Or the Annoying. me too section, actually. Or the what? The me too section, which is, you the know, in me some too companies that the executives have gotten me too right out of their company. And, you know, that no, can be we're a big thing or a small thing.
1: We're talking about irrelevant, silly things.
0: But that well, irrelevant things may not be silly at all. I mean, having released a new cereal that doesn't make it is a problem. The question is whether it's a big problem. Um, Having an executive have, you know, bad behavior and be fired for it could be an underlying huge problem or it could be a no problem a no issue. Right. I remember one banking company we (laughs) invested in, I won't mention.
1: I would say it's a problem.
0: This so maybe we have company. different
1: things that go under our sections of the, uh, the Seinfeld manhands section.
0: Well, here's, here's, an, here's a really good example. Is, is we, we, we really liked a bank, um, and it had fabulous numbers, driven quite a lot by um, the real estate section of the bank that was lending to large real estate development projects. And um, this, the executive running that group was a rock star. And the CEO of the bank fired him. Just boom. And holy smokes, the whole analyst world screamed horror show. And they sold off the stock all over Wall Street because Mm -hmm. they had bought the story that this guy was this superstar and that what followed from that was the bank couldn't do large real estate deals without him. And okay. therefore, was their numbers were going to change? Everything was going to be down, and none of that happened. None of it. It was a non-event, ultimately in the story of this company. And yet, the what stock does that have price to do with got slammed. Harassment? Nothing. It's a it's a question of well, what it has to do with is that, you know, this could be a hangnail or it could be a broken arm. You know, I mean, what is it?
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little
0: or a lot. so you have to know whether these things are insignificant or significant, and where you know those things are insignificant or significant is around the concept of moat. Okay. What is it that this company does that's bigger than the people, that's bigger than the person getting me tooed, bigger than the person getting fired, bigger than bigger than well, whatever that problem is. People don't get
1: me tooed. They abuse other people and then get appropriate consequences for that. Oh dear. And.
0: I've, I've used the wrong terminology. Yes. And Why I is that the wrong enough. terminology?
1: Because it's, you phrased it as it being done to them when they have done the thing to other people. Ah, they have been yes. the bad actors. So I think I what see. I hear you saying is that if there is somebody who is discovered or is whistleblown to be having had sexually, ah, to have been sexually harassing people, it may be one single bad actor and the company takes care of it and They're fired, and that's the end of it. And it's not a systemic cultural problem in the company, in which case that would work to your hangnail analogy. Otherwise, it could be more systemic. It could be within a group or within the company itself, and and that would be a larger problem as as somebody who's a potential investor that I would in no way consider to be a hangnail situation. Right.
0: I mean, Activision is an example of a company that has been accused of having a culture of... Correct. Of uh, I don't know if it's sexual abuse per se. What would you call it? It's like a culture that's toxic to women, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think it's a combo of sexual harassment and old boys club and lack of promotions and um, lower pay, you know, kind of the list. <laughs> or
0: it's complete crap. That's That's what you have to figure out. It's a bunch of disgruntled people who are finding an issue that's popular and that they can leverage management with. And I don't know, right? I mean... It's hard to say. I'm not there. So what what you have to understand is to what degree would that damage if it's true? To what degree does that damage the moat at Activision?
1: Exactly. If exactly. it's
0: true about about this real estate group at this bank, to what degree does that wreck the moat of this bank? Exactly. Right? That's what you've got to. Fo-
1: you I always focus think of Martha that. Stewart. Like Martha Stewart, for me, is the archetype. Archetypes—the wrong word, because that's a example person. But anyway, I don't know. I'm losing my words. It's she's who I think. Sorry, <laughs> this is very disjointed. She is who I think of when I think of problem with a management person who is integral to the company, and yet what they've done or haven't done in her case um, probably won't actually affect the company going forward. And looking at that as an investor, so Martha Stewart, convicted for insider trading, pled guilty, probably didn't do really anything all that intentional if you actually read the case, but she just decided to take it and go to jail and get out and be done with it, like a boss that she is. Yeah, And because she did that, I think if she had kept fighting it, she would have been much more tarnished in public perception, but because she took her public accountability so to speak of something she kind of didn't really do um you know she's become this like icon of cool and of resilience and knitted her way out of jail so um (laughs) yeah that's to me that's the poster child of management issues that as an investor shouldn't bother me
0: yeah so, ah, so uh, help, we've talked help we,
1: a lot generally now, which is, I've learned things, but <laughs> we haven't really gotten to Netflix as we are want oh, to we do. Will.
0: Oh, we will, we because will. Netflix has a problem, right? And we, when you see the stock price drop like a brick, by the way, just let me remind you guys that when there's an event and the stock price is not dropping like a brick, there may not be the the big problem you think there is. Um, the stock price will follow an event that creates fear. Mm -hmm. And so if the stock price is dropping like a brick, start looking for where the fear is because it's there somewhere. And with Netflix, the the stock price drop is like humongous. It's lost two thirds of its market uh, price in a relatively short period of time. And so the first question is, was the market price absurd to begin with? Um, And Mm I don't really think so. Maybe a little bit absurd to begin with. A little bit high. I think, you know, most things are overpriced before they dropped in this market. But then the question becomes, Has their moat been broken? Is the competition that's coming in now, the streaming, broken the Netflix moat? And, you know, that's that's a huge, huge question. Let me when we last time we were talking about depreciation and the the, um, impact of accounting decisions made by the company. Yes. on whether or not they have owner earnings. And if we, if we don't have owner earnings, we really have a difficult time owning this business because it has very little free cash flow. And that's one of the great huge red flags that we throw up here with regard to moat. Mm. We, we don't have free cash flow. Oh, really? What kind of moat have you really got? Right? I right. mean, what, the money is not moving to the owners in any way. Well, in this case, on a company that's driven by kind of a networking model in terms of a moat, you know, more people means more people. You have this flywheel moat that we've defined before here, as more people means more subscriptions, which means more money, which means bigger and better content, which means more subscribers who are evangelical and telling their friends that bring in more subscribers that bring you bigger money that gets you bigger content and so on. And this flywheel is real important to. Uh, to Netflix's moat and Reed Hastings is identified. It's like the evangelical quality of our, of our, of our watchers is what makes us special. The evangelical quality. I mean, everybody is telling everybody to get on Netflix, and the question is, is that going away?
1: Yeah, that's the sad thing, right? Is that's not happening anymore.
0: You sure? You think? I do think. I mean, that's a big question. That's what makes this such a high bar. It's a. Yeah. It's a really interesting question. Is it really going away? So here's here's the argument that it isn't. Um, I know the argument that it is says, well, they lost subscribers. Therefore, by definition, it's going away. Of course it is. But they, they also had a huge wave of subscribers come in over COVID, way mm-hmm. far above the estimates, which drove the price to the moon, of course, because Wall Street looks about 10 minutes ahead. And so now, now effectively, it's coming down onto more the current, the expected amount of subscribers they would have had if COVID had never happened. All right, so they're on that track still. Number one, and number two, they are the vast leader in foreign content creation. True. Not non-English content creation. So let's talk
1: about this depreciation thing that we were talking about last time. Okay. Because. To me, that's, uh, this is what we, we said, this is the crux of the issue. How much money does Netflix have to keep pumping into new content just to keep up? As in, it's just normal um, maintenance expenditures mm-hmm. versus how much can we say is maintenance and how much is growth and therefore not really optional, but we could consider it that at some point um, they'd be able to start putting that money back towards the owners, back towards the investors.
0: Well, one thing that kind of helps me when I'm trying to figure out a harder kind of company like this is to see if I can compare it to something that I understand better. Right. Cool. So one one of the things that we think about with a company like Apple Computer is that Apple has to put a lot of money into continuing to develop new products they have research to do develop research and development yeah tons sure. of
1: companies they are pour, based on that model Pharma, they pour the money obviously. in obviously anything technology anything science right
0: and they once they pour the money in there if they have a they have a new iPhone they expect to have revenues come out that more than pay back the r and d and and so they have a certain life life uh, lifetime for an iPhone and that they've got new iPhones for the years projected out, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to develop. So that's something similar to Netflix, isn't it, in a little bit? That Netflix knows it has to develop the new iPhone, and the new iPhone is the new Bridgerton or the new Stranger Things. you got to come out with the next thing down the road. And Netflix has these next things scheduled out. They don't know for sure that they're going to be as successful as the previous things, but they think they are, and they're very good at it, just like Apple. So it's somewhat similar to that. And um, with Apple, you don't have you with Apple. You have a lot of the R&D being written off on a day to day basis. They're just they're not capitalizing it per se. Um, They're just writing it off as expenses. And so you don't you see a lot larger cash flow coming out of Apple, uh, a lot larger free cash flow. With Netflix, you see that they're using up all of that money. And in other words, Apple doesn't have as big an R&D budget as Netflix does on a, on a per revenue basis. Apple can spend less money and have more free cash flow, but it's the same basic idea. And hmm. here you have Netflix. They've got to basically spend it all. And the question is, are they getting to a place where they don't have to spend it all? Are they getting yeah. to an R&D level? Where they're they've got this flywheel moving pretty good, and these old programs will continue to produce money. Like, are you following me? Sort of like a Disney, yeah. Like a Disney,
1: yeah. I mean, to me, that's the best analogy. Yeah, there you go. Like Disney's incredible catalog, right? And this is one of the questions we got from the listeners: Um, a company like Disney with so much content that it's paid for years and years and years ago to the point. And it's so valuable that it's um, an income-generating asset, right? Rather than something they're having to spend money on. Um, like, couldn't a company like that just, you know, blow Netflix out of the water by throwing all their money at making new content while bringing in uh, subscribers simply due to the quality of their catalog from? 40 years ago.
0: Well, great, great question. And and we looked at that really hard. Again, not a six inch bar. But our view of this is that and this is what Netflix says is that they have an ear to the ground better than Disney by far. Disney creates its content based on what producers want to produce. Netflix creates its content based on what people want to watch. They have enormous data coming in off of 200 million subscribers defining by the minute what people want to watch, who people want to watch, right? What kind of content to produce? Disney doesn't have that. Disney's got all these subscribers watching Snow White. It's not helping them figure out what's the next Mandalorian I got to do here. You know, so it's a it's much more difficult for a Disney or an Apple um Paramount Hulu HBO much more difficult for those guys to figure out what content to produce in part because they've well not Apple and some of them have existing content like Paramount is running NBC content yeah, into yeah. I mean it doesn't help you to know what to produce if people like friends it doesn't help you to well, know what to produce exactly. if people like seinfeld it's exactly. not telling you anything
1: Right. I mean, it tells you they love these shows that you're not going to have on your network anymore in a couple no. of years.
0: And so. these are these are one off geniuses <laughs> it that happen.
1: Exactly. Um, Whereas
0: Netflix is producing stuff that, you know, like Bridgerton, that is just driven by demand. It is, oh, I thought you were
1: talking about Netflix in that context, because Friends and Seinfeld have been huge moneymakers for Netflix.
0: Oh, Sure. And that are gone. They're off they will be. Yeah.
1: They will be, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so Netflix has to replace those with with content that people want to watch. And what keeps that flywheel moving very, very well, and which we think gives it an enormous advantage, is their data that they have, which is better than anybody's by orders of magnitude. And that is what's keeping them able to produce content that drives people to subscribe and be evangelical. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, this is not a six-inch bar. I mean, maybe we should leave it right there. This is not a six-inch bar. And we can come well, we back and talk next right time there. a little about depreciation. We have so many good
1: questions about it. Okay. Um, but well, I, let's let's yeah. come back
0: and, and let's come back and talk about more about this depreciation stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, because we we didn't even really talk about it. And I'll tell you um, why
0: that's important.
1: I also just want to add for everybody screaming right now that we used the wrong term in the last one. Um, depreciation is for fixed assets, and amortization is for intangible assets like content. So,
0: unless you're that. Netflix, sorry about this, all you accounts, but unless you're Netflix, they Netflix use the term in-
1: amortization. <sighs>
0: Yes, they do. And they mostly do amortization, but they also do depreciation and they specify that some of it is for intangibles. So there. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: I almost failed accounting for lawyers, so I am not going to say anything else. Right on. Um, All right. Well, we'll come back to this next week. I actually did really well in that class. I quite enjoyed it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Thanks, everybody.
0: Yeah, you guys. It's time to go play.
1: (laughs) Good luck figuring out Netflix. (laughs) We've been no help. (laughs) Bye.
0: Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.